Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. Well, we've been going through a series uh, as, we've, as we're moving towards Christmas Eve, and we've been, uh, Pastor Peter's been talking about people who missed Jesus. And we talked about, uh, initially, we talked about the innkeeper uh, in the Christmas story uh, that missed Jesus. And then last week, uh, Peter was talking about uh, King Herod, how Herod had missed Jesus in, in the story. And then this morning, we've got a, a group that we're going to look at that actually aren't even mentioned in the, in the narrative, in the, in the story of Jesus' birth. And so when, when Peter asked me, hey, you know, would you preach on the 18th? I said, yeah, I would be glad to. And then he said, hey, I'd like you to talk about, and he told me, and I'm like, that's not even part of the Christmas story. Like, you know, but I said, yes, I would do it. So we're talking about, but so, so they're not in the Christmas story, but they, they, they feature prominently in Jesus' ministry. Like when Jesus became an adult and he was uh, teaching, his encounters or a lot of his conflict came with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are who we're talking about this morning. They missed uh, who Jesus was. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into that. Uh, but it's interesting to me as I think about that, like th- there, was, there were no religious leaders uh, present at Jesus' birth. They weren't invited. We had shepherds, we had wise men, we had Mary and Joseph that were uh, present there, but no religious leaders. So even that is a bit of a head scratcher. If you think about it for a second, the question might be, well, why not? And, and we'll dig into that a little bit and maybe get an understanding as to why. But it is interesting to think that the religious leaders of the day weren't included in the birth announcement uh, of Jesus. So we're going to we're going to push into the, the Pharisees and, and how they miss Jesus in a little bit. But we're going to start with this idea. I, I want to start with an idea of optical illusions. Optical illusions are these things that we, we look at them uh, and they look one way, but our brain interprets them uh, differently. So the eyes are seeing something, but the, the brain takes the information and kind of decodes it and, and can't make sense of it. Sometimes it's a, an illusion where... You're looking at something and it's moving on the, it looks like it's moving on the page, but it's, you know, it's not really moving. Uh, And I've got one for you this morning that's fairly familiar. I'm sure you've probably seen it uh, previously, but it's this illustration right here. There. All right, so you've probably seen this before. Uh, And I'm going to suspect as you look at this, you're going to see one of three things. You're either going to see nothing I had a friend who uh, will remain nameless that looked at this this week, and he could see nothing uh, that I was describing to him. But you're either seeing nothing, or you're seeing a, a young woman who is looking back over her right shoulder and has a feather coming out of her hair or her hat, or you're seeing an older woman that's kind of hunched over um, and has kind of a fur coat over her shoulders or whatever. So how many of you are seeing one or the other of those, or both? Most of you are. Is anybody else besides, oh, he's seen it now all, all of a sudden. He couldn't see it earlier this week, but now he's gotten smarter. So, um, so yeah, but here's what I know about this. Uh, the, the, both the images are there, but it, it, it is impossible for you to see both of them at the same time. I mean, you could even jump back and forth very quickly, but there's no way you're seeing both of those at the same time. Your brain is either focusing in on the young woman or the old lady, or if you can't see the other one, you're focusing in just on the one that you can, you can see. So the, the, the brain uh, does that. 
And, and I think this is going to be important, not just to kill some time in my sermon, but to... But there's a principle here that, that the, what we focus on is what we tend to see. And, and it's hard to see other things when we're focusing or we're zeroed in on a particular thing. So hold, kind of hold on to that idea because that's going to be kind of key as we look at what happened with the Pharisees and how they uh, interacted with, with Jesus. I want to begin this morning, though, with a, just a bit of a confession uh, for you. So here it is. It's, it's my heart's desire that I, that I follow the way of Jesus. This, this is what I want my life to be about. I want to look, I want my life to look like his life. I want to live obediently to, to what he taught. I want to respond to things the way that he did or the way that, that he would respond uh, to those things. I mean, Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. He is God in the flesh. He, that's what I want my life to look like. However, as I read the Bible, especially as I read the New Testament, and I look at Jesus' encounters with different people that he ran into as he was doing his ministry, and as I just kind of look at the, what happened in the exchange between Jesus and some of these people, and as, I, as I'm honest with myself, the, the people that I most often identify with are the Pharisees. And we're going to see a little bit about why that is. But this morning, I want to stand before you, and I just want to, uh, that this morning I identify as a follower of Jesus with pharisaical tendencies. And an example of that would be something like this. Uh, I say I trust that my trust is in God, that I trust God with my whole life. And, and that's what I want my life to be about, that I do trust God. But as I'm honest with myself, and I, and I look at how I live my life, practically speaking, Often, I find myself trusting in maybe the things that I have, the money that I have in the bank, the roof that I have over my head, the job that I have, whatever it might be, that I'm putting in a lot of confidence. So I, I say that I trust in God, and I do, but practically speaking, these other things can creep into my life and become what I'm putting more confidence in. And so... I, as, as much as I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and, and that's what I want my life to be about, I have these tendencies that, that pull me away from where my heart wants to go. So before we jump further into that, let's look at these Pharisees. Some of you that have been around church uh, a lot of your life and have spent a lot of time in the Bible probably are familiar with the Pharisees. Others of you that may not have as uh, much of an understanding of what the Bible teaches don't know who the Pharisees are. I'll give you a, a crash course real quick. The Pharisees were religious leaders in the day, uh, in the first century when, when Jesus was doing his ministry, but they predate Jesus quite a bit. They, they go clear back into uh, about the fourth century uh, before Christ. And, and really what the Pharisees, what gave rise to them was they, this, this group of people had a real desire to maintain the purity of the Jewish faith. And so they wanted to hold tightly to the Torah, to the law, to those first five books of the Old Testament. And beyond that, there was oral tradition that was passed down, and they wanted to, to preserve that and maintain that. And so they wanted those traditions to continue to be uh, central to what the Jewish uh, people were all about. So they wanted the, the common people of the day to uh, maintain pure uh, 
lives and, and, and hold, hold tightly to the traditions of the Jewish faith. So this is what the Pharisees were, were doing. They were trying to help to make this happen. They, they believed in the resurrection of the dead. At, at one point, there, that there would be a future resurrection. And so how we lived in this life was important. And they also were anticipating a Messiah who was going to come at one point and establish an earthly kingdom. And so when you think about it, just at face value, you go, that's not bad. Uh, th- this group of people, this is important, especially in, in face of like a, a Greek uh, empire and a Roman empire that would be diluting the Jewish faith. It became more important that there was a group that was maintaining strong uh, ties to Jewish tradition. So that's what this group was about. They were also politically connected. They, they had their religious agenda for sure, but they were politically con- connected. This shows up most obviously when Jesus, uh, in the last week of Jesus' life, but all the way through as Jesus had conflict with the Pharisees, the Pharisees began to align themselves with some of the political groups of the day. There was a group called the Herodians uh, that were, uh, in, uh, wanted to uh, give Herod, uh, the king, uh, preeminence in the world. And so they were, they were um, aligning themselves with the Herodians to attack Jesus in his ministry. So they had political agenda. They had religious agenda. Uh, that's what, what drove them. And, and, I, and I feel like there's a connection with us because in our humanness, there's a lot of what we, what we do that starts off really well-intentioned. And then as time moves on, we begin to drift away from its original intent and it gets watered down or we, we get more focused on the means rather than the, the original end that we were pushing for. And so it gets, we get sidetracked in, in how we're living our life. And so this is what happened with the Pharisees. They, I believe they started out, you know, like I say, back in the 4th century B.C. with a, a proper intention. And it just began to drift further and further from the truth and became very legalistic, very uh, self-centered. Uh, and we're going to see how Jesus confronted that in, in a little bit. So we have to recognize that, that uh, what was going on as Jesus was encountering these people. And even within their own interaction with other groups, there was a group called the Sadducees. There was a group called the Essenes. There was a group called the Zealots. All of these people were, had a different theology and a different uh, interaction with the world. And so there was these conflicts that were happening um, during the time of Jesus. But Jesus had a particular, some particular things to say about the Pharisees, and that's where we want to uh, land uh, today and, and see how they missed uh, Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 23. And so I'm going to uh, invite you to find Matthew 23 in your Bible or in your device, and we're going to read a, an extended uh, section of Matthew 23, mainly because I want you to feel the weight of what Jesus had to say to uh, the Pharisees. So we're starting at Matthew 23 and verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything that they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on others, people, other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. 
They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. Now I want us to drop down to verse 13. So we're going to pick up at verse 13. Jesus says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, they are bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the bloods of the prophet." Shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. I tell you what, when I read that, I'm pretty overwhelmed. And if I was a Pharisee, I would not be very pleased. But Jesus makes it uh, abundantly clear, doesn't he? His critique of the Pharisees, he's not mincing words. And as I reflected on, on what Jesus is saying in that whole passage, we could go woe by woe through what he had to say. We're not going to do that this morning. I'm going to pick out a couple of things that I think basically, in a general sense, give us a, a sense of the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And the first is this. The Pharisees were self-righteous and prideful. Verse 5 of, of Matthew 23 says, everything is done for men to see. Everything you do, you do for men to see. It was all about appearances and pride. They loved the trappings of their position. They loved the idea of, of having the best seat in the place, of having the respect of people. They could tell people to do things and they did them. There was power connected with that. 
personal purity that they were pursuing, uh, and then the, and then they were imposing that upon the people that were following them, in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but it became an end in itself. And so we can see that, that even though we don't have a group known as the Pharisees today, we have a tendency to be subject to this kind of thinking as well. How easy it is for us to turn uh, our Christian faith into just appearing righteous or doing the right thing when people see us and taking pride in that. We can drift into that. We were, uh, when we were studying through the book of James, when Peter was leading us uh, through that, there was a particular chapter that was dealing with language. And I had a couple different conversations, one in our small group on Wednesday night and then uh, with, a, with another individual. We were talking about how easy it is to pattern our language and our behavior just based on who we're around. If we're, with, if we're at church, all of a sudden we can clean up our behavior because we want to look a certain way. But when we're out in the world at work or with neighbors or with coworkers or whatever, we can drift into another way of behaving altogether. And so we're guilty of this kind of uh, pursuing a righteousness that doesn't go much deeper than just our behavior. And so that kind of leads to the second thing that, that Jesus says the Pharisees were guilty of. He calls them hypocrites. Seven times he calls them hypocrites. And actually you could say it's eight times if you look back at verse 3. He says that they do not practice what they preach. Eight times he calls them out as hypocrites. And as, I, as I've reflected on that and I think about of all the things that we could be identified as, and, and even set, set your faith aside for a moment. If someone calls you a hypocrite about anything, that's, just, that's hard to hear. That's hard to hear. We want to be known not just for what we do, but who we, who we are deep inside. And if, if there's a separation between what we say and what we do, that's hard to hear. And so the, Jesus called it out uh, in, in the Pharisees. He says, you do not practice what you preach. He says, you tithe. Look at, looking at verse 23 and 24. You tithe. You give a tenth of, of your spices. You, you're following the letter of the law. But he says, but you're missing the more important thing. Practice justice. Practice mercy. Practice faithfulness. And then he goes on to say, you should, you should be practicing both of those. But the Pharisees were more concerned with the outward appearance. They cleaned up the outside. They were filthy on the inside. The Pharisees loved their stuff. They loved their possessions. They loved their power. They loved their position. They loved their stuff. They wanted to look good in front of others. They loved their stuff more than they loved God. And so when Jesus showed up, God in the flesh, teaching the way of the kingdom of God, their immediate response was to scoff at that and to say, no, this is, this is not what we're about. And so I want us to look at one other passage real quick that I, that I believe gets kind of to the heart of what I would like to, us to know this morning. And it's in Luke chapter 16. So if you would flip over to Luke 16, same kind of thing. Here's an encounter with Jesus and the, the Pharisees. This is Luke 16, starting at verse 13. Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Verse 14, The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, 
You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your heart. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Let me read verse 15 again. You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. So the Pharisees missed Jesus. They missed him as a child. They missed him as an adult. They missed him as the Messiah. And instead of seeing Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, they saw him as a distraction, as a rival, as someone that was going to displace them out of their comfortable place of authority and power. So they had Jesus killed. Why is that? They were in love with their stuff. They were in love with their position. They were in love with, in love with the comfort and the ease in which their life had, what their life had become. Jesus said, you like to appear righteous, but God knows your heart. So like the Pharisees, as we, as we think about Christmas, but honestly, let's move it outside of Christmas because most of us here aren't as concerned this Christmas about what we're getting. I mean, I remember being seven, eight, nine years old. That one of the central things was making a list and what am I going to get? I realize most of us are not sitting here this morning wondering what we're going to get. But I think it's fair to say that we get lost sometimes in the rhythm of our life, the rhythm of this season, the rhythm of our life in general that pulls us away from God. And we love this. We, we may love God. We may say we love God or we want to have a relationship with God. But the patterns of our life, our practices, the rhythm that we've set up in our life does not lead us to him but leads us away from him. And so we can miss Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is it that I truly desire in my life? And is, is that moving me towards God? Is it allowing me to see what God is doing around me or what God wants to do in me? Or are my desires leading me away from that, away from God, or, or away from a relationship with God? And so this morning, I want to present to you, I think, two ways in which we can be sure not to miss Jesus in our life. Two ways. The first is this. We've got to understand the kingdom that we live in. We live in a world that's highly materialistic, highly based on consumption and satisfying our desires and our appetites. It's self-focused. It's driven by money and stuff. That is the way we get the things that we want. We want comfort. We want safety. We want security. We want happiness. Our world tells us, if you want those things, here's what you need to do. Turn on the TV, watch a few commercials, and you'll get a pretty good sense of what you need to make yourself happy, content, safe. That's the kingdom that we live in. And it's intoxicating. We can get sucked right into it, especially this time of year. If we've got the resources, we can, we can provide all sorts of things for ourselves. And this is the tension that I find myself in quite often. That I'm recognizing that this is not where the answer is. Things and stuff and money, these are not, not going to provide ultimately the satisfaction that I desire in my life. But I find myself drifting into that. Like this is, that, that there's going to be some kind of answer here. And because it's, it happens because it's all around us. And so I think as we uh, think about 
wanting to make sure we don't miss Jesus, we got to recognize the world in which we find ourselves living. We're living in a world which means when, I, when we think about giving rather than getting or giving rather than taking, this is not super popular. This idea of giving away some of our resources to the church or to, to someplace else, that's not going to be met with like, hey, hey, man, that's a great idea. It's going to be met with, why are you doing that? So we recognize that this tension is going to be happening around us because of the world that we live in. And this is the tension the Pharisees were dealing with. It was right in their face. They were recognizing their, their wanting to cling to power, cling to comfort, cling to what they knew. And Jesus comes with something different, and their immediate response is to reject it. And so we're going to find ourselves in that same tension. As we're embracing what it means to follow Jesus in our life, there's going to be a tension and am I going to hold tightly to the things that uh, this world says give me comfort and peace and the answers that I'm seeking? Or am I going to be able to let those things go and recognize that God is going to take care of me? This is the tension. And we've talked about this. Even, again, as, as Peter was going through the, the book of James, he, he landed on this idea of abundant generosity at a couple different points. And we recognize that this, this is one of the character traits that as we really... Uh, push into following Jesus with our life, generosity is just going to ooze out of us. It's going to be something that becomes part of our character. But there again, this doesn't come naturally. So we need to understand this kingdom that we're living in and the tension that it creates in our life. But secondly, Jesus made it clear that the issue really is in our heart. And he told the Pharisees just that thing. This metaphor of the heart, we, we recognize that when we talk this way, the heart is just basically an organ in our body that circulates blood, right? I mean, it's, there's nothing magical happening in our heart. But we use this metaphor to talk about the fact that it's, it's something that's central to who we are. The heart is in the center of our body, it's, so we, we use that metaphor. So when we talk about getting our hearts right before God, we're not talking about anything happening in the organ of our heart, but we're talking about what's central what are, what are the, the key central desires of your life? And when we focus on that and we're honest about that, we can begin to see some change happen in how we live and how we behave. So this morning, I want, us, I want to give you, as I've looked through this and thought through this, some ways that we can begin to see transformation of our heart, of the central things in our life. And the very first thing that has to happen is that there has to be some honest evaluation we have to recognize where, where do I currently stand? What's happening in my life? What are the central desires of, of my life? What is my life ultimately about? What are the things that are driving me? And these are things that only you can answer. But we've got to make that honest self-evaluation of what's going on in our life. And then once we do that, secondly, we've got to pursue single-mindedness of life and heart. We, the Bible talks about the fact that when we become uh, double-minded, that we're unstable. James talks about that. And so as we think about being single-minded, um, there's a gentleman by the name of Dallas Willard that wrote a book called Renovation of the Heart. And he, he talks a lot about how our lives are structured. But at one point, he uh, talks about these entanglements. And these entanglements are... These, these places in our life where there is 
Our, desire, our desires are on, on uh, one side, and God's desires are on the other, and they be, there just becomes this entanglement like, how, how can I get free from these things in the world that are dragging me away from God? How can I get rid of the entanglements that don't allow me to pursue God the way that I want to? And so this is what Willard says about pursuing single-mindedness. He says this, Our primary practical aim in stepping free from the entanglements must be to overcome duplicity. And to overcome it, we must become conscious of it, confront it, and take appropriate steps to forsake it. I'm going to read that again. Our primary practical aim in stepping free from the entanglements must be to overcome duplicity. And to overcome it, we must become conscious of it, confront it, and take appropriate steps to forsake it. So this is what we're talking about. A little bit of self-evaluation. We've got to recognize it. We've got to confront it. And man, that phrase, forsaking it, has just stuck with me this week. That at some point... As I look at my life and I look at my heart's desires and when I recognize that there's something in there that is not taking me towards God but it's taking me away from God, do I have the courage to say not just, hey, that's bad, but to forsake that, to say that cannot be part of my life. That cannot be what my life is about. And take steps to eliminate that from my life. This is much easier to talk about than to do, am I right? But at some point, we've got to make that evaluation, we've got to confront it, and we've got to forsake it. We must pursue single-mindedness of life. Thirdly, if we're struggling with that, it could be that we have never ultimately surrendered our heart and our life to God. At some point, we have to recognize in my own strength, in my own ability, I am not going to be able to get untangled from this tension of, of the world I live in and the world I desire when I follow God. And so I've got to throw up my hands and say, God, I surrender. I can't do this in my own power. I can't do this in my own strength. I need you to come and make this transformation happen. So we've got to evaluate. We've got to pursue single-mindedness. We've got to surrender to God. And then it begins, after we've surrendered, we just got to begin to be obedient. We've got to practice the will of God as we understand it. We're not going to be perfect. You're not going to have every answer. But as you come to understand God's will, in our life, what God wants from us, we just have to do it. We have to live obediently in the way of God. So maybe today, the first step you need to take is you need to just surrender your life to God. You're here this morning. Maybe you've come for a long time, but you've never come to the point where you said, you know what, I just I throw up my hands and say, God, I, I got to give it to you. I can't do this any longer in my own strength. And we talk about that, when we talk about that here, we talk about the ABCs, that we admit that I am powerless before God, that I'm a sinner, that my sin is pulling me away from God, and that there's nothing I can do in my strength to make it right. That B, we believe that Jesus is the answer. That Jesus, because of who he was, Son of God in the flesh, lived, died, rose again, he can give me the strength, he can transform my life and make me right before God. And C, I choose each day to follow God, to, to make his desires my desires, to make his will my will. And so that's the starting place. That could be where, you're, where you sit this morning. You need to make that surrender to God in your life.
But it's also possible this morning that you are a follower of Jesus with pharisaical tendencies. That, hey, I've committed my life to Christ. I want to be a follower of Jesus. But, man, this tension is just pulling me apart. And I need, and I need to become single-minded in my life. So I want to suggest this morning that it really comes down to this idea of remembering, first of all, who you are, that you have surrendered your life to God and it is no longer you who live, but God, Jesus, lives in you and then begin, begin to do the right thing, begin to live obediently. As you become aware of the will of God, you do it. But friends, this is not easy. This is why we need the community around us. And this morning, I want to encourage you as we get ready to close that we've got a, a prayer ministry. We've got people in the back this morning, back in the back corner, that can help you walk through this. If you need to make that first decision of surrendering your life uh, to God this morning, they would love to talk with you through that. We've got some resources that we can put in your hand that can help you understand what a relationship with God looks like. And if that's where you are this morning, and if you need to make that commitment, they would love to talk to you about that. But even this morning, if... If you've made that commitment and you're just struggling and you need prayer, and this is true every Sunday morning, by the way. This is not just true this morning. Every Sunday morning, if, if you've got if a, a struggle and you need someone praying for you, that's why we're there. So as you get ready to walk out of here this morning, if, if God's working on your heart, please go back there and let them pray for you. Let them talk with you. They would love uh, to do that. Because really that's where it all starts. As a church, if we could get a handle on uh, recognizing that we need to be surrendered and sold out to what God wants us to do and begin to bit by bit live obediently to what God wants us to do. There's no stopping what God could do in this community. Am I right? It, it can happen. It can happen. Let me pray for you. God, we're, we're grateful uh, to be in your presence. As we think about this Christmas season and, and what's in front of us in the next few days, more than anything, we, do want, we don't want to miss you. And, and we confess uh, God, that there, there are plenty of times that we get into a pattern of life, that we get into a rhythm, that our, that our desires do not push us towards you, but they pull us away from you. So God, it's, it's our desire that, that our hearts would be right before you. That you would help us to confront those things that entangle us, that pull us away from you so that we can pursue you single-mindedly even as we walk out of here today. So God, would you bless us as we head into uh, this uh, Christmas holiday together? Would we in our homes, with our friends, with coworkers, wherever we would find ourselves, would, we, uh, would you just flow out of us because uh, of the fact that we have you centrally uh, placed in our life? Would it be obvious to others who you are in our life? So go with us today, God. Make us an instrument of yours as we go into this community. In Jesus' name. We pray, amen.